Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, we're pleased to welcome Dr. Christina Cerucci. She's an obstetrician, gynecologist, and a member of RTV's scholar community who joins us as a visiting scholar today. We'll get into more of her bio and her work as we go. But first, let's hear your voice. Uh, hello, Dr. Cerucci. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Wonderful. Uh, Ken, tell us what we can look forward to today. Well, you know, Chris, as I looked at your resume here, uh, you're a Renaissance person. I mean, you have quite a background, um, an engineering background, a medical background. You're a missionary. You even have a certificate in, in the Bible. Uh, that's a pretty pretty broad background that you have. So welcome to our program. We're really glad to be with you. Uh, but guys, we want to talk with Chris a little bit about, I, I think, initially her Christian journey. But we also want to talk a little bit about her work in the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping you guys got some questions. I know I do. Wonderful. All right. Let's hear. Chris, give us a little bit of background. Um, did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you have a flash conversion? Tell us a little bit about your journey in, in your faith. Yes, Ken, thanks for asking. I I grew up in a nominal uh, Christian home, went to church every week, and um, I didn't understand the gospel, but I thought I was a Christian because I believe in Jesus and I went to church. And when I was about 11 years old, I found a little tract laying around the house and I read the tract and nothing hit me with that. But at the end, it said, well, if you're a Christian, you should read your Bible every day. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of shocked by that. Oh, I'm supposed to read the Bible. <laughs> so I was a good kid and I usually did what I was told. So I started reading the Bible. I started reading a chapter a day, started in the New Testament and then the Old Testament. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit really worked in my life. And with time, I realized I wasn't a Christian. Wow. I realized there was much more to being a Christian than what I had realized. And so I started praying every day, God, show me how to be a true Christian every day. And then when I was 13, I had the opportunity to go to a Christian summer camp. And it was there that I came to understand the gospel and surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Wow. So the Bible's always been important. So when Paul says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing the message about Christ, it's very much in accord with your experience, that, that God's word spoke to your heart through the Holy Spirit, and that identified who you were and where you were going. Well, you're a very cerebral person. We like to talk a little bit about books. Ha have there been some books other than God's holy word, obviously, that have had an influence on you? I mean, you have a you have a engineering background and a medical background. What 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 kind of books influenced you about faith and maybe reason or science? Yes, I love to read. A couple of the books that really influenced me, one would be Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I first read that in high school, and, and I just reread it recently. And 
C.S. Lewis just makes sense when he explains things, why there's morality and how that points to God and and so many other things. So that would be one book. You know, when I became a Christian when I was 13, I didn't, I went to that camp and then I came home and I didn't have much fellowship. So I did a lot of reading, a lot of Christian books, which was a, doesn't replace fellowship, but for me, it was still a good thing to be doing that. Yeah. Um, Another book would be Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Wow. So two classics you're giving us. Two classics. And likewise, I read that in high school and read, reread it uh, recently. And of course, J.I. Packer goes through a lot of God's attributes, but the part that struck me the most is where he talks about how we're not just to know about God, it's knowing God. And yeah. that's a, such a privilege we have as as believers. Wonderful. Now, how about the science connection? How did you, how did you get interested in science and maybe where was RTB in your, your kind of journey there? So as a, um, you know, I have an engineering degree and a medical degree, so I don't um, have a strict science background in, in the way like a geologist or an astronomer would, but as a Christian, you know, I, I think most of my life, I just assumed the earth was young because that's kind of what people believed, but it never set right with me because it just didn't make sense with science. But I also didn't have the science knowledge to pick apart all those details. And then someone pointed me to uh, Hugh Ross's books and I started reading Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, the Bible is true and, and Hugh Ross and a lot of those books, I came to understand that um, the old earth position and um, the Bible and science agree, uh, of course, because they're both, as we understand them, they're both truth. Let me, let me ask you, I, I want to move to a discussion with you about the pro-life movement. Sure. But I want to kind of ask you an apologetic question, and it's two-sided. Um, Chris, what do you think is the strongest evidence for God's existence or the truth of Christianity? And in contrast, is there anything you would identify as, as being very challenging to that belief? That's a great question. And and certainly there are several or many things that that point to to that. You know, I just read um Nabil Qureshi's book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Yeah. And he really goes through how he, you know, as he was a Muslim and became a, a believer in Christ, and he really looked at all the evidence and it came down to for him, is there did the resurrection happen? And is the Bible true? Um, and of course, we can't prove things, but we can know things with um, within reasonable certainty. And he went through all the, all of that. Um, so I think that is um, would be a good explanation and a good you know that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the other thing, sometimes when I we all doubt, and then I ask myself, well. If Christianity isn't true, then what is? I've studied Islam. I don't believe that's true. I've, you know, I don't, there is no, there is no other truth. And there has to be a beginning to this universe. So yeah. um, that's kind of where I go. 
Well, guys, I want to talk with Chris, and I know you guys too, about uh, issues relating to life. Maybe we could begin with this question, Chris. What is it? Uh, what is it in your faith that informs your work as a doctor? What What is it? What What has driven you to have an interest in? Um, you know that that baby in the womb and the preciousness of that. Give us a little bit of background about your faith and your your individual work as a professional doctor. Sure. So, yeah, you've asked me a couple questions. Yeah. So, so, yes. so, so, can you give me the question again? Yeah, I, I, I think the first thing is how does your Christianity inform your work as a doctor, and maybe then particularly your interest in the unborn? Ah, great. Well, you know, as a Christian. Our faith is not just a set of doctrines, it's a way of life. And so, of course, my Christian faith informs everything I do. And as a physician, um, you know, people people are made in the image of God. And every person, every patient before me is made in the image of God. And I always, I'm a frail human being, but I try my best to always do the right thing for them. And um you know, the other thing as a Christian, um, I've had the opportunity to use my skills overseas in third world countries in, wow. in um, medical mission work. And and then your second question, I, I think as a Christian, well, certainly there's so many ethical issues yeah. in the field of obstetrics and gynecology. I know people, Christians who chose not to go into that field because they didn't want to deal with those ethical issues. And I thought, well, that's not really a reason to avoid uh, the field. I, I don't really want to face those issues either, but that's not a reason. And, uh, you know, so my Christianity, I've, you know, if you, as a Christian, I believe life begins at conception. So that informs a lot of what I will or won't prescribe or will or won't do. And um, it informs everything. Now, do you have opportunities? Um, I mean, as a doctor, can you talk to your patients about uh, your spiritual convictions? If, if maybe if they brought it up, or what? How does how does that kind of play out? Do you have opportunities to share your worldview with these uh, these women, for example? So, at at times, I think in this country, we have to be very careful and how we say things and what we say. I actually have had more opportunities working in a Muslim country really? because Muslims are very willing to talk about God and very willing, happy for you to pray with them. But yes, in this country, often I would, um, sometimes it's just planting a seed or a woman in crisis. I may say, you know, I'll, pr I'll pray for you. And they always seem to appreciate that. And then when I leave the room, I, I do pray for them. And I have had opportunity to pray with patients. Um, Very good. Yeah. Joe and Dave, jump in here. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, I, go ahead, Dave. Well, I just had one. You made an interesting statement a little while ago. Uh, if, if Christianity isn't true, what is true? And I, I think you were thinking largely of other religions but of course, uh, as Ken and Joe know, uh, we often face atheists, and uh, they would claim that they have the truth, and uh, that 
they're they're looking at things the right way. I'm just curious to know, have you had much opportunity to engage people who are of that persuasion? And how do you deal with them? Yes, thank you. I have not had a lot of opportunity to interact with with atheists, but I would I think when you look at theism versus atheism, well, if there's no God, why do we have any morality? Why is it wrong to murder someone if there's no God? If there's no God, nothing matters. Nothing matters. And it doesn't, I, I often wonder why atheists are so strong in putting forth their beliefs. If they don't think there's a God, why do they care what anybody else believes? So it's like, it's that C.S. Lewis response. Yes. Where do you ground morality? If God doesn't exist, you know, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, the famous atheist, uh, proclaimed that if God is dead, uh, you know, where do we find these foundations? <laughs> Joe, uh, what what kind of questions do you have for Chris? Yeah, uh, a couple of questions. Uh, uh, the second one, maybe a, a little bit later. Uh, but you worked in hospitals uh, around the world, and you've mentioned some of that already, but I'd like to hear some more details because uh, it says here in your bio that that's really your passion, and you've served six times in one particular country. I'd like you to describe for us uh, what you do and uh, just some of your experiences and what fruit has resulted from that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking. Yes, I've um, worked in Africa and um, in Pakistan one time, but most of my work has been in Bangladesh. Wow. So I went there for the first time in 2005. And, you know, when you go overseas for a month, it takes a while to kind of learn the system and then how things work and get oriented. So there's really a value in going back to the same place and getting to know the people and the culture and um, even the language. Um, you know, Bangladesh is a very poor country. It's very, very densely populated. If you took half the population of the United States and put it in the state of Iowa, that's how densely populated Bangladesh is. And it's largely a Muslim country. It's about 90% Muslim and about 10% Hindu. And these people really need medical care. They don't have good medical care. I worked at a hospital, Memorial Christian Hospital in Malamgat. And um, I would see patients in the clinic, mostly mostly taking care of, of pregnant ladies, but also gynecologic problems. I did a lot of C-sections and um, surgeries. And so taking care of patients in the office and in the hospital and in the operating room and just working with really lovely, dedicated people. You know, the staff is um, mostly Bengali or uh, Bangladeshi. So, yeah, it's just a place that has a place in my heart. You know, Chris, from a from a, an apologetic standpoint, I often tell um, our scholars here that while science is a challenge to Christianity, I think another big challenge is, well, how can Christianity be true alone apart from these world's religions? And 
one of the things I teach my students at Biola is that to believe that Christianity is uniquely true, it doesn't require you to believe that everything in the other religions are false. I mean, Jews, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Taoists, Confucianists, they all kind of have the second five of the Ten Commandments. So when you're caring for these uh, individuals who may be Muslim, who may be Hindu, who don't have in their own country the best medical care, uh, are they open to you, or do they uh, do they do they sometimes learn that you're a Christian? And you mentioned earlier that they're a little bit more open to talking about. So tell me a little bit about that. What is it like to talk to people? Um, I mean, you're talking about countries that are very far away from America. You know, we live at a time where skeptical people are very critical of the motives of Christians. But, I mean, here you are, a very professional person, and you're you're working as a medical missionary. I mean, you could be back in America making a lot more money. Um, I think that that's a powerful witness uh, to people today that... Um, that I, I think that message needs to get across, that there are many Christian professionals who uh, are not motivated by making as much money as they can. Mm -hmm. They're motivated by caring for people that are hurting, and they're caring for people that must, many, much of the time don't even share their faith. I, I just mm -hmm. wish that message could get out more clearly that medical missionaries, I think, are just... Um, it's just a remarkable work. Does anybody ever come to you and say, wow, why do you do that? Sure. I mean, when I one of the things that when I would return from overseas is to share with people here um, the, the work that's going on there. And, and a lot of times people are like, you know, wow, that's great. Or, you know, but I feel like, I mean, I'm just, going for a month and there are people that spend their lives. It, it's a hard, it's hard to work in a third world country. It's hard to live in a third world country. I think what I did was pretty easy because I get to come back. Um, but yeah, the, some of the missionaries and, and medical people that it's amazing what they, they give up. Joe, you had a question about yeah. pro-life. Yes. Pro -life. Yes, uh, it seems that in light of uh, Roe v. Roe v. Wade being struck down, opposition to the pro-life movement has been galvanized. And I wonder from your perspective as an OBGYN and as somebody who is on the board, if I uh, recall, on the board of directors of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, just kind of your view of what you think is going on right now. Yes, thank you for that question. So it's interesting when, uh, you know, the Dobbs decision came down and Roe v. Wade was um, overturned. You know, we all, those of us who are pro-life, were happy and we expected the other side to not be happy. But what I didn't expect was a lot of the misinformation. Like, for example, ectopic pregnancies saying oh now women can get their ectopic pregnancies 
treated. Well, that was never an issue. And a treating a topic is not an abortion, never was, never should be confused that way. So there's a lot of confusion um, and word rewording and re um just a lot of confusion. And I think it's important to uh, tell the truth about things like that. Uh, Chris, in light of Joe's question, I've, I was waiting a long time for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. I remember being a Christian in the late 70s, and there were political candidates who were conservative in their views. And I began to wonder, wow, uh, it's possible Roe v. Wade may not be overturned in my lifetime. Now, it was, and I'm grateful for that. But I guess I have this question. In your experience, what do you think, what kinds of things does someone have to see or understand or know to somehow embrace uh, an openness to protect the unborn? I mean, um, I, I've, I've at times thought, Maybe Christians um, rely too much on court cases. Maybe, maybe our convictions about if we want if we want marriage have good marriages. What have you seen, people? How have, how do people change their view about the value of the unborn? Well, that's a great question. Um, if you look at people, I think. If you look at people who are very pro-abortion and have changed their views, I think often it is that they come to Christ. Wow. Or um, sometimes if you, I, I'm thinking of, you know, Bernard Nathanson and Abby Johnson are really seeing what's going on. I mean, it's like all of a sudden the lights turned on and they realize. Now there are people that, we kind of call the mushy middle. So there's very pro-life people and very pro-abortion people. And there are a lot of people kind of in the middle who lean one way or the other, but maybe aren't as vehement or strong, or that's not their issue. And, and sometimes for those people, it's just realize, you know, truth, do, you know, do you know what's going on at six weeks of pregnancy? Do you, you know, this is a baby. And, um, so I think that that's how I would answer that. Well, just in that context, I have the question. There's been this, uh, I don't know, move or I don't know quite how to describe it, but the idea that perhaps abortion is not such a bad thing prior to, I think it's six weeks, this uh, time when the heart begins to actually beat. And there are some Christians who are willing to compromise on that. I just curious to know what you think about that. Right. Well, Texas, we have the heartbeat law six weeks. So six weeks is when we see the heartbeat on ultrasound. And that's actually, there's two ways we, we date a pregnancy. So six weeks of gestational age is actually only four weeks after conception. So the way I would answer that is at fertilization, that human being, that unique human being has his or her own unique genetic makeup. The baby's sex, hair color, these are all determined at fertilization. It's a unique human being. Uh, and if you look at um, embryonic and fetal development, it's a process. There's nothing magical that happens at six weeks or at 22 weeks or at birth. This 
this baby from the moment of conception is a human person. And it's if it's wrong to kill an innocent human being, an abortion is wrong at any time. Okay. Now, what about the idea that a significant fraction of fertilized eggs are never attaching to the uterus and are flushed out or I don't, you know, I'm not sure what the right phrase is to describe that, but there's only a, you know, some fraction of them that actually attach and then uh, develop into maturity. How did, how did you respond to that issue? So I would, I, th I think what you're referring to is a miscarriage or a very early miscarriage. Maybe we don't, the woman doesn't even know she's pregnant. I mean, we live in an imperfect world. I I see those as a result of the fall. That yeah, not not every every baby's going to attach. That's still a, a precious human being in the sight of God. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't make it right for us to take action to um, intentionally kill the preborn. Chris, some have uh, I think referred to an ultrasound as kind of like putting a uh, a window on the womb. Uh, has that been your experience that, you know, being able to, to see the growth and development, does that make a difference to people when they're able to see that or, or even just touching the, the stomach of the woman who is pregnant? Uh, I mean, I remember when Joan and I had our first daughter, Sarah, I, it, it was just amazing to see a little foot pop out or things like that. So do those things kind of uh, help people that they see that there's a there is a complex life in this womb? Has that been a positive thing toward opening up a more pro-life point of view? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of pregnancy resource centers are using ultrasound. Um, it, it does a couple of things. It first confirms that the baby is alive and in the uterus but a lot of times when that can help a woman to see that to see her baby and and the heartbeat and to realize this is my baby and you know when women are pregnant and for example in a planned pregnancy desired pregnancy what do they want they don't care about their lab work or this or that they want their ultrasound yeah. they want to see their baby and of course, I mean, that's, we understand that. You made an interesting point earlier. You said that uh, a lot of times people change their views about the unborn because they have a worldview change. They come to embrace a Christian perspective. And, uh, you know, the the Judeo-Christian Bible, uh, there really isn't anything like the Imago Dei or the image of God. Uh, Muslims don't believe in it. Um, but this idea that there is some there is something about human beings that give them dignity and and value. And I, I think that's interesting that seemingly if you start to move closer to God, it does change your value system. It changes the way you look at at uh, reality. Sure. The whole Christian worldview and and like you said, seeing people made in the image of God. I try to remember that as I go through my day when oh, you get irritated with the 
cashier who's not doing whatever. <laughs> and remember that this person's made in the image of God. This is God's creation. And and that little baby, uh, no matter how far along in development, is is also made in the image of God. So we, you know, God has blessed us. Let, let me ask you uh, a, a difficult question. Um, my wife and I had two daughters. We had Sarah and Jackie, and they're both now married and have their own life. But the third pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And uh, boy, it hit both my wife and me hard. I mean, um, we had never had a problem in the two previous pregnancies, but when we discovered that she had miscarried, we grieved for, you know, a month. And I I thought to myself, uh, if that hit me and my wife, you know, that hard, how does it, how do other people have experiences maybe when they either have a miscarriage or maybe when they have an abortion? I mean, I know there are debates about how it affects the mother, but what, what are some of your thinking about that? What what are the what are the costs of having an abortion to a person who has to live with that? Well, that's a great question. And and just to start with the miscarriage, you're you're right. It's it's a loss. It's a you have to grieve. It's uh just heartbreaking. It's one of the hard part of my parts of my job is telling women, you know, they may have just had an ultrasound and they then come to see me for to go over and they know something's wrong or they wouldn't have been seen sent to the doctor. And I have to sh- share with them that they're having a miscarriage and it's, it is something to be grieved because you've lost your child. And I think with abortion, there is, can be grieving also. And abortion is often put forth as the easy, not easy, but the quick solution. And uh, in my office, in 20 years of working as an OBGYN, almost invariably, when I take an obstetric history and ask about each pregnancy, there's a different countenance when women mention their abortion. And and we know there are mental health um, consequences from, from abortion. And uh, it's something women carry with them. In the in the pro life movement, Chris, uh, obviously there are many Christian denominations or branches that hold a high view. Do you interact with other Christians from other churches that embrace the pro life movement? Uh, I've always hoped that Christians could cooperate more interdenominationally, you know, especially when it comes to our values. Absolutely. Well, as as was mentioned, I'm a um, vice chair of the board of directors of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And um, we come from different different faiths. I would say probably half are are Catholic and um, or maybe more. And um, most of the rest of us are probably evangelicals like myself. But I have come to so appreciate working with with Catholics and yeah. and their uh, respect for life and the unborn and you know we have some things we don't agree on but it sure. has been so good to work with these wonderful people who value life. 
There, I mean, you know, there's lots of discussion about backbiting within the church and denominations and how come we can't get along. But this is, I think, a place to be worldview allies, to be allies of our the deep uh, ideas of faith. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Joe and Dave, what are some other you know, questions you have? Yeah, no, sorry, another question for you, Dr. Cerucci. You've published uh, peer review articles on chemical abortion. Uh, what what uh, are you? What, what does that mean? Are you talking about what they are, or or what? Are you asking me what about the specific articles, or? Um... Yeah, well, the the term chemical abortion. I see. Is it? Is it um, you're describing what they are or or something else? Well, what a chemical abortion is, it's also sometimes called medication abortion or medical abortion, is um, accomplishing an abortion with pills instead of surgically. So the kind of, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the way a first trimester abortion was done was with a surgical procedure called a D, basically a DNC. Now, uh, chemical abortion was approved in the United States in 2000, and now more than half of abortions are performed by chemical abortion. So this is two medicines. A woman takes one medicine called mifepristone on day one, and that kills the baby. And then on one to two days later, takes another medicine, misoprostol, that causes contractions. And there's a lot of misinformation about Chemical abortion is being pushed as being safe. Um, the fact is that chemical abortion is not as safe for the woman as surgical abortion. Um, so a lot of what I've published has been on the complications and uh, some colleagues and I looked at all the FDA adverse event reports and categorized them and, um, you know, found very interesting things. But if Abortion always kills a baby, but it shouldn't, you know, we have to also look at the risks of the mother and chemical abortion is not safe. It's, there's a lot of misinformation about it. Good. Thank you for that. There's this film uh, that was done a few years ago. Uh, I, you know, I've forgotten the name of it, but it was uh, following a young woman who, as a college student, was supportive of abortion kind of a nominal Christian background, I think. And uh, then she began to work for a, a Planned Parenthood clinic and then was asked at one point to participate in an abortion and was horrified at what took place. And that changed her position. Uh, does this describe anything that you're familiar with? Well, yes, I think you're talking about the movie Unplanned by Abby Johnson. Yes, yes, yes. that's the name and of it. And Abby Johnson is, yes, yeah, she was, I, I hate to tell her story because I don't know the details, but as I recall, she was asked to actually go in the room and yes. saw the ultrasound and, and realize this, what was going on and and really, and she came to faith in, in Christ. I think after that, or as a result of that, and That's she's right. now a very um, strong supporter of for pro life. But I, I recall in the film that she also, I think, herself uh, did a chemical abortion, and it was quite a horrible experience. At least it was so described in the film. 
uh, I don't recall how much they said uh, what you're pointing out, which is the dangers to the woman in going through that procedure. But I just think it's interesting that, that now there's this possible a retraction of approval for some judge. Uh, is it in Texas? Yes. Or who is uh, questioning whether it was a legitimate approval by the FDA? Correct. You're taught there is a current lawsuit going on um, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine is sued the FDA because when they approved Mifepristone, the FDA didn't go through the normal, uh, the appropriate processes. It should have never been approved. Mm. And what's happened over time is they, they keep lessening the restrictions. And, you know, you mentioned um, this woman having a chemical abortion. Well, what happens is, I mean, these women take these medicines and then they're home and they're, I mean, to pass the baby, even in the first trimester, it there's a lot of bleeding. And so what, then she's just in a, in a significant portion of women. One study showed 20% of women have complications from uh, chemical abortion, but a significant percentage of women have you know very heavy bleeding and can hemorrhage and and, and she's supposed to do this at, at home alone and then pass her baby and then dispose of it herself. This is not good medical care. Right. This is not, you know, even if someone thinks abortion is okay, this is not the way to take care of women. Right. So another thing I just want to point out is um, I did a podcast uh, last year with Fuzrana on Star Cells and God completely about uh, chemical abortion. So I would also you know, point you to that. We'll have a lot more information. Now, Chris, as a philosopher, I have friends and colleagues who debate the pro-life issue. And of course, it, it, to me, it seems to have changed over the years. Um, you know, decades ago, there was a question, is it really human? I think most bioethicists who even favor abortion say, yes, it's human, but it's not a person. And of course, Christian philosophers go back and forth about what is personhood and things like that. I guess my question for you is a little different. When have, when a when a young woman wants to have an abortion, what what do you think they're thinking? Um, do they think it's not a human being, or do they have? Is it just something that is? inconvenient what what's the frame of mind do you think for for many young women who 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 choose to have abortions well i think it's varied uh, certainly many different views i i i imagine um women have different reasons for getting abortion different views on whether that's okay or perhaps they think it's not okay but this is going to be the easiest solution, so I'm going to do it anyway. I, I know when a woman patient's before me and she's in that place of a what I will call a crisis pregnancy, you know, I usually just try to ask her, well, what's going on? What, you know, and get more information because obviously everybody's story is different. Yeah, you know, and you women are usually in a situation that it's not a good time. Um, 
to have a baby for whatever reason, or it's not an easy time, but um, it, it seems that most women who choose to have their baby are certainly very happy they did. How could uh, how could the rest of us help people who are in a position that are, they may be considering having an abortion? Is Are there things that uh, those of us who are pro-life can do I would imagine sometimes uh, maybe many of these young women feel kind of in a desperate situation. What what could uh, pro-life people do who, who, who love the unborn and want to support uh, these young women? Yeah, great question. I would say to, well, two things. In, in, in a bigger sense, I would say get involved. There's, you know, pregnancy resource centers have, the other side is, bashing them. They do a great job. They really help women. They're not just, um, they provide so many resources for women. And, um, you know, I, so I would encourage people to get involved, whatever your, uh, area of expertise or leaning is to, to use that in pro-life. But I would say on, on the other hand, if you have a friend in front of you, I would ask her, what is it that makes you think you can't have this baby? And then try to support her in that. You know, maybe it's money, maybe it's something else or, you know, and sometimes people just need to realize there's there's other options. Yeah. Guys, any last questions? Well, I just would want to emphasize, of course, there's the option of abortion, excuse me, of adoption that uh, they can have the child and the child can be adopted. Um, we, uh, my wife and I also, some years ago now, uh, had a young woman who was uh, single and pregnant uh, live in our home for the period of time that she was uh, going through the pregnancy and then had the baby and then she then moved out. And that was an amazing experience not just for my wife and I, but both for our children also. Uh, we had uh, two sons who were living in the home at that point, and uh, they got to know this young woman uh, as, you know, almost a sister. And uh, and it was just really a, a great experience for us all. That's great. That's, that's the kind of thing I, I was referring to, like you really supported this woman and helped her through that time. So thank you. Well, uh, Chris, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or learn more about you or read some of your papers, um, is there a way they can do that online? Sure. They can um, email me at Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at aplog, A-A-P-L-O-G dot org. Very good. Well, Joe, I'm going to turn it back to you. That's been a, a great opportunity, Chris, to, uh, to, I think this is the first time I actually met you in person. Yes. But we've done a couple of programs together, and uh, I'm very excited that you have become a, a visiting scholar, and I know the staff is looking forward to hearing you speak. So uh, double welcome to RTB. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here, and thanks so much. It's been great to talk today. All right. Our guest has been Dr. Christina Cerucci, board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. If you go to Reasons to Believe, you can search for her name, uh, Chris Cerucci, that's spelled C-I-R-U-C-C-I, -C -C and you'll be directed to her uh, bio page 
here at Reasons to Believe. Let us know your comments and questions. Reach out to Ken via Twitter at RTB underscore KSamples, and we'll be glad to read your comment here. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.